Welcome to the Real Triathlon Podcast. I'm your host, Garrick Lowen, here with Nicholas Chase and Jackson Laundry. Welcome back to the Real Triathlon Podcast. Today we have all three of the guys together in one place. We are in Galveston, Texas, getting ready for Texas 70.3. When you're listening to this, it will have already happened. Nick would have took the W. Jackson got a flat. Oh, and- shit. <laughs> Garrett got the fastest run split. <laughs> <laughs> Only because he had to poop. <laughs> yeah. So we don't know. But anyways, we're hoping it goes pretty good. And uh I yeah. really hope Jack doesn't get a flat now. Yeah. <laughs> if I did, it's your fault for jinxing me. Yeah. <laughs> no, you know, normally how it works is shit talkers get shit on. So True. Some, someone who said flat might be getting flat. And I am 50%. I've gotten 50%. I've gotten flat in 50% of my race, long course races. So speaking of that, I mean, the race is going to already have happened, but this will be like a pre-race interview. I really quickly want to ask you how you're feeling for this race it's been like 20 months since you've raced a half a half or a triathlon in general at all well i guess you did like kind of a homebrew triathlon last year but since you've raced you took a shower shower, did a cruiser ride and then you ran to the mailbox (laughs) so how are you feeling first triathlon in ages but i have i don't know man like i don't i was telling nick this on the drive over i do not feel like i'm about to race yeah like i don't know i just kind of feel like out of touch with it and i think this will be a good race to kind of get my bearings get my feet under me um and then yeah get my first 70.3 win (laughs) (laughs) oh yeah yeah that'd be lovely yeah anywho um yeah i mean we've done the whole pre-race thing a million times but i think we're all feeling pretty good nick and garrick just got in today which is friday when we're recording i was in yesterday and Got a nice little place to stay and no stress. And I think we're all excited to get the year going. I mean, Nick's already done Miami, but this is about, you know, the first Ironman 70.3 in North America of the year, as they mentioned to us many times in the pre-race meeting. <laughs> so, oh my gosh, that pre-race meeting. They're like, well, guys, just so you know, this will be the first one in a long time. We're like, we friggin' know. Like, <laughs> but they put on a they put on Ironman Florida last year, the end of the year, and that went off awesome. There was no issues. Like I don't I just don't get why so many people act like we've never done this shit 16 times in a year for the last six years in a row. Yeah. It's they, just another race. And they're saying, uh, they're like, yeah, you know, the age groupers are gonna be watching you guys and taking your lead. So it's really important. It's really important that you do a great job. And then some somebody who will not be mentioned, not one of us, fights <laughs> in and they're like, Well, if they're gonna be watching us so much, then why don't you pay us well? <laughs> <laughs> and their mic was on and they did not know it. Um, I think they knew. I think they just pretended not to know to cover their tracks. And you cannot miss whose voice it was. Yo, yeah, you would. I think everybody knows. I think, know. Did, I think it, was. it was totally out of character <laughs> for that person. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. Anyways, uh, the best part about this weekend is, um, you know, we haven't had a full on. Well, even Flock is here as well. She's staying at a different location. So we're we're four of us here out of the six. And then next weekend, Jackson and Leslie Smith. And Garrick, have you decided if you're raising 70.3 Florida and Haynes titty? I will decide when this podcast comes out. <laughs> By the time it comes out, Garrick. So, so if Nick's prediction of my flat comes through, yes, I will be raising. He's not going to flat. If, if you do flat, I'm going to give you my wheel. 
Okay. <laughs> but if it's a rear wheel, you're screwed because I've got AXS and you've got Shimano. Oh, true, true, true. Stay in the same gear. <laughs> um, and then after that, we'll be rolling into 7.3 St. George, which I do believe we will all be in full force. Every single one of the real size squad will be there for uh, a massive feeding on that course. The full real mm -hmm. triathlon squad will be there along with every triathlete, every pro triathlete in the world will be there, it seems like. Well, even this race is pretty much like 70.3 Galveston World Championships. Yeah, it's going to be interesting, but we're all looking forward to it. And uh, another thing we're looking forward to is this episode, which oh, yeah. will be Rolf Prima. We're going to have Lauren on from Rolf. He's our contact there who's uh, been working with the team and getting us our wheels and kind of pushing our names through to the, the marketing guys to, to get us in there for being sponsored. And we've been super happy with what we've got so far from Rolf. And so we're really looking forward to chatting about what makes them different from other real companies and what makes them awesome. Yeah. And I've got a bit of a rant because I personally have made a lot of cool connections over the years with wheel companies and people who work for different companies. And you wouldn't believe how hard it was to get six accomplished athletes with every marketing aspect covered to get a wheel set i mean okay it was during the end of 2020 when everyone's budgets were screwed and it was kind of covid but rolf went out on a huge limb uh with working with us because we're a new team we've been put together by us and honestly anything could have happened but we knew for sure that we're not going to you know, do anything to mess this up because we care so much so we're so happy to have a company that actually cares about their product this much they gave us such a good leg up in the sport and being able to do what we do um with saving some expenses and being able to actually run on quality high-end products and you'll see us out there um all year long with the dual spokes with disc wheels and just crushing out there so that's why we're mostly excited and because jackson was able to sell all of his other previous wheels and buy dinner <laughs> <laughs> hey i still have those Previous wheels that <laughs> should now not be mentioned. They're just sitting in the garage. So now um, they're going to be turned into furniture, dinner tables. I don't know. Maybe frisbees. We'll see. It'll be fun. Uh, but, anyways, we should probably get into it. Without further ado, here is Lauren Ralph Prima. Hey, Lauren. Thanks for joining us on the podcast here. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thanks. So good to be here. So, Let's kind of take it back uh, a bit here. We kind of give you a bit of an intro before this. How did you get involved with, with Rolf Prima uh, and kind of the race wheel industry as a whole? Yeah. Um, happenstance, I guess the way lots of life happens, really. Um, but I had, uh, you know, coming up, I worked in I worked in bike shops and whatnot when I was in, in college and grad school. And um, I actually bought a pair of Rolf Prima wheels from a rep. Um, that uh, and I was, I don't. I think I just kind of was familiar with them because of growing up in Oregon. But that wheel set blew my mind. Um, it was just so good and so. It was actually Ralph Prima's first mountain bike wheel set, <clears throat> and it was just so incredibly reliable and whatnot. That when it came for other wheels, I just started going towards Ralph Prima, and um, also ended up working in the in the bicycling industry, I was working for Hammer Nutrition, um, but, you know, strange course of life took me that direction, but I had ended up <clears throat> via the industry kind of collaborative marketing things, whatnot, getting to know Brian, the owner, um, and then was riding and racing the wheels, you know, kind of pseudo sponsorship, 
um, situation. And we just gradually, you know, had talked about doing something together, liked working together. I obviously believed in the product and, and knew it well by that point um, from a firsthand basis. And so I eventually ended up teaming up with him um, and joining the team about uh, two and a half years ago. Nice. Yeah. So that's actually a good, um, another question that, you know, you kind of reminded me of. So you were using those wheels kind of when you were uh, riding with mountain bikes and did you ride road bikes in kind of a few different sets of the wheels? And then the other question is like, when did Rolf actually start making wheels? Yeah. So, um, yes first question yes you know i it, to me it was like you end up with a wheel problem when you start riding nice wheels because it makes your bikes ride so much better right so um i started out with a pair of mountain bike wheels and then i got a pair of road wheels and then you know it, it grew from there um and now of course i have just silly quantities of bicycle wheels um <clears throat> but uh the uh you always need the right tool for the job um, but, uh, Ralph, so Ralph Prima has been building wheels. Um, Brian's owned the company now for, I think, 23 years, um, doing it that way. I, I could get a couple of the historic details wrong here. So you'll have to forgive me if I do and, and Brian will too. Um, but just what I get wrong would just be like specific years. Um, but so the deal is the history, the history of the company is that a gentleman named Ralph Diedrich, um, fascinating German bloke uh, created this wheel design, uh, which I know we'll dis discuss in, in a bit here. Um, you know, I think the design really 30 years ago or so now um, took some time to get it off and um, get it off the ground, you know, get people, get people going with it. And the fun story about that is that, so, so Brian, the, the current owner of the company, um, was an, he's an engineer by training. He was an energy engineer for Trek bicycles. And so Rolf Diedrich had approached Trek with this new, basically, you know, quote unquote, reinvented the wheel with this paired spoke wheel um, design. And Brian was on the engineer, he was on the wheels um, team. So one of his tasks was designing the tests for the paired spoke wheel. And so that's like the first way, that's how he was initially introduced to it. Um, and, you know, we can go into that story or not, but he, you know, eventually, you know, after various things that happened with life, he'd already left track and had worked for their company and whatnot, ended up being back in touch um, with, with Rolf. Once Rolf had been on his own, um, had the company as a standalone company and uh, purchased it from him and has been um, running, running that jam ever since. What was it about the paired spokes that kind of made it, you know, I guess apparent that it was worth pushing it track and then also, or trying to get it out there at least to, to like start a whole company. Like what, what is it about the paired spokes that is so cool? Um, that, I mean, I, I, I actually want to know too, and just hit us with some knowledge. Yeah, 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 absolutely. So like the fun, the fun story about that is so, and, and I guess I should just fill in, obviously we're, we're not uh, visual here for folks. So people, you know, Google us or whatever, but take it the way we refer to them as paired spoke, which means that rather than the spokes being evenly spaced throughout the rim, they are grouped together in twos throughout the rim. So, um, you know, one from each side of the hub um, in, in a paired fashion. 
And the idea behind it in, in simplest terms is that those two spokes are in, under very even tension and there is not the tensioning detensioning cycle when the wheel is um, rotating and being used that traditional wheels have. That allowed Rolf to build wheels with fewer spokes um, and they stay true longer. And it's just, it's, it's a very good way to build wheels. Um, as it turns out, the, the fun story about it is that when, uh, so when that, that came, so he approached Shrek, he was offering to license that to them. And Brian's on the crew testing the things, but this is, you know, this is some time back. And so testing for, for wheels wasn't a super defined thing. They're just so like, they're, go down a hill as fast as you can with these wheels and see if you like it. <laughs> right. Yeah, totally. It's like, yeah, drop them out the window. How'd they do? Um, yeah, no, so they had to, you know, their engineering problems were how do we test these and then test them against other wheels. And when they initially, so they came up with some of these tests, right? They're making the test itself and then and testing them against traditionally laced wheels. And the paired spoke ones were outperforming the standard wheels. And he thought their, like, he thought their test was broken. Like, he's like, oh, well, shit, obviously our test you know, like our testing protocol isn't working because these crazy ass wheels are outperforming regular wheels. Like that can't possibly be. So they're like creating other tests and stuff, trying kind of with this, um, you know, just this assumption that that couldn't be. And eventually we're like, wait a second, like kind of a mind blow moment of these work, you know? Um, Can you expand on the type of testing that was a little bit more profound or at least one of them that maybe stuck out? Because I think like, some of the cycling nerds would be like, well, what tests actually were more prolific in the experience? Yeah, for sure. Um, so the, uh, in terms of Trex testing within, I don't, I don't know which tests there um, did better. And frankly, I don't know if uh, Brian is even permitted to say due to and, ah. you know, disclosure and whatnot, there's all that stuff. And any, anything he did while at Trek is sort of like as though he was at the CIA. Um, but um, as far as when people say, okay, if you were to test these wheels, I mean, and when we test them and whatnot, how do they, how could they be better? Um, and I want to be clear that it's like, by no means, like I have, I mean, we have a company that makes regular spoke wheels. Like there are very good wheels that are not paired spoke. We're not completely not zealous about it. We just say that it's another way to make a very good wheel. Okay. And certainly some inherent advantages. So, and then, and I mean, of course, like Rob, Rick would say, no, there's of course, you know, better than any other wheel and, um, and believes in his design. And, and, you know, there's, you could, you can talk science on that for, you know, ever. but the, uh, the key things that, that are, you know, just clear advantages first, I mean, we're talking try here. So um, there is a lot of clean air in a um, paired spoke wheel because you're thinking if you have you know regular wheel spokes are inner space so you have drag at every spoke right so by pairing them together you're like you're going two spokes clean air spokes clean air spokes clean air and there's just a lot more clean air through the wheel um, which matters a lot in aerodynamics and also in control and gusts and side winds and whatnot um, the paired spokes and the even tension there is just just helps with not having to true them as much so that's one like where we will see where if we bump test a wheel 
and Ralph Prima versus um, traditional lacing, something that's that, that isn't necessarily, like, say, trying to damage the rim, but just putting the wheel under a lot of tension, um, or I mean, under a lot of stress uh, in, in, in the detensioning cycles and whatnot. Uh, it's, they, they just don't, won't need service as soon, you know, like that first set of wheels that I was saying that I bought and they really blew my mind. I mean, I, they were, uh, it was an alloy mountain bike wheel that I put just absolute heaps and heaps of miles on. Came my training wheel set, but it's like, I actually had a carbon quote unquote race wheel set that broke a spoke at the start line of a hundred mile mountain bike race. So I like switched to my race, my training wheels that I've like beat the living hell out of and hope for the best. And like, they just are unscathed, you know, and that was just the history forever. Ended up using them on a cross bike and then they're on my partner's bike and back on, I mean, it was just, it was just, a, and, and we hear these stories all the time, you know? So like, I mean, that's the anecdotal thing. And, um, but, and I, and I guess maybe not quite as nerdy as, as you were shooting for. Well, um, well, I think the million dollar question is mainly, you know, if, I haven't seen a lot of other companies employ this. And is there, is there a patent for this that you all own? Um, there, there is, it is now, I believe it is now expired. Okay. Um, but for years there was a patent on it and it was protected um, fairly jealously. Okay. So it was, um, yeah, it was licensed by Trek briefly, but then for, you know, I don't, I don't know, 10, 15 plus years, it was um, fully, uh, we could use it and us alone. Okay. So, and, and why do you think other, I mean, just scandally, why do you think other companies haven't moved to this model? I mean, clearly the durability aspects you're talking about are more beneficial since Mm -hmm. When you're speaking with road cycling, it's probably not as apparent because we have we usually have a lot of good, nice, clean roads. But when it comes to gravel and mountain biking, that's huge. Like if you don't have to worry about a like breaking the spoke because you didn't even know we were out of true for weeks and weeks, and then finally just went off the rails. So why isn't everyone else kind of following suit and giving a better product to their consumers with you know to, with a paired spoke system? Yeah, totally. Um, I, I don't know why more people aren't doing it. I mean, um, I, sometimes that's a question for them, but I have guesses. Yeah. And, and one is simply that it's different. You know, being in the business of selling something that's different has advantages. And there's also things that are hard about it. You know, if you're selling traditional laced wheels, you don't have this conversation. You know, like there aren't instruction. It is certain, and there's, and there is what we jokingly refer to as just paired spoke bias, which is people that just do not like it and never will. And there's people listening to this right now. They're like, hell no, wheels are weird, and I will never put them on a bike, or they look funny, or whatever, right? They look sweet. Yeah, first they off. Look awesome. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I agree totally, especially on like deep dish wheels and whatnot. Like, I think it yeah. looks like hell. But there's people who are just like, especially mountain bikers, who are just like, that won't work, and they're positive. Mm -hmm. And honestly, at this point in, in our evolution, we're like, that's fine. Like we say, we say you don't have to, um, like, you don't have to like it. You don't want to ride it. You can't say it doesn't work. We won't tolerate that because we've been making wheels for, you know, quarter of a century, but, um, it's, uh, you know, so I, th I think there is, if I was another wheel company and I was looking at doing something like that, it is a, um, 
there's a marketing challenge to be had there. Um, the, uh, um, but uh, also, I think some of it was also that the patent was guarded uh, so closely for so long that it was kind of like it was new. And when it was like growing and whatnot, no one could do it. In some ways, it feels like the notion or the idea of it um, was kind of forgotten or, or lost. Mm -hmm. We're a huge company, right? So we're not like pushing the, um, the envelope and really pushing that into people's faces. Since we've never been a huge company, also like, you know, it's been a it's been a long time since there was a Tour de France rider on our wheels or something of that nature. Um, well, that's just because the budget associated with that is astronomical, anyways, and it's probably not <laughs> worth it. Exactly, that's always the take, and it's why we've been here for a long time. Um, astronomical and not you know not worth it. It, it, it. You know, these wheels have been ridden in the Tour de France um, when Trek was licensing them. You know, oh, yeah. uh, so they're they're very tried and true, but you know, we're a small company. We make every wheel by hand. Um, we, you know, have kept things more conservative. I mean, you can think of it in some ways as more of a craftsman brand. Um, and that's been intentional, you know. Um, it's still owned by one guy. There isn't a big, um, you know, it's not public. There's not corporate interest at stake and, and millions of millions of dollars to throw around. Yeah, you're like the local roaster or local microbrew who's just like holding out, making the best things you possibly can. Even though the world's growing around you, you're focusing on quality, the aspects which have grown you to where you are. And you're not just, I guess, in some words, uh, selling out just to, you know, mass produce something that might descale your value. Yeah, exactly. Yep, totally. I'm going to I'm gonna write that down. Um, <laughs> later and and steal it yeah that's It'll exactly the podcast so you can just you know, put in the show notes for you because uh, i like the deal yeah yeah <laughs> yeah cool. nailed it in the show notes yeah put that in um, so, and there are actually there are a few small companies actually that are that are doing this now it's always interesting to see um which they you know they shall not be named today but there you know, there are those around and people that have done um very similar things um in the in the past that uh, you know, very nearly hit the patent or whatnot. So there's, you know, there's there's some of that around. Yeah, yeah. I think it's it's good to hear, kind of that you guys are like take such pride in your work and that you do work on every wheel because like how many times do you hear the story of a wheel that came over from China and the spoke was just way over torqued or under torqued and the thing explodes on someone and it takes down like a whole group. I think we've all heard totally. those stories. Yeah. It's a horror story. Uh, and it happens just happens way too often yeah 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 wheels i mean the front wheel of a bicycle is uh exceedingly important in keeping your teeth out of the pavement you know yeah yeah okay. and when you get a when you get a front wheel from you all it has a card on it with the name of the inspector and someone who put together and it's been signed off with a checklist so there's like a lot of value for the customer to know that there's been hands on this before it came to you it just wasn't in a shipping container in a box that went straight from another label to another label to another label to your front door. So there's a hundred percent. Yeah. We, we couldn't, we couldn't be more different than that. And it's like, because we're small, like there's literally pride at stake in everything we do. You know, it's like if a wheel comes back, I mean, it's like, it's always funny because people will, if something comes back for warranty or whatever, it's like, you know, Jimmy will get his hackles up. Cause he's like, you know, like, wait, they said what? No, hell no. You know, he's like, oh, 
let that wheel out of here like I remember that, that wheel specifically <laughs> yeah seriously for who you know it's like and we're referring to people we're referring to people's wheels in, in the you know production plan by name and whatnot you know and, I, I can imagine the conversation you guys were having when i sent my wheel back that i personally screwed up pretty hardcore so that must <laughs> a talker on the workshop are you sending that wheel back to that knucklehead yet <laughs> i'm sure it was hilarious no, man, we just made sure we taped it for you. <laughs> it's all good. Anyway. And stuff happens. And that's the other thing is that we also like people. I mean, I was talking with someone else today who's just like, you know, age group. Um, it's ridden our wheels a bunch, you know, and um, had a impact damage, you know, totally not a warranty thing or whatever. You know, we're working on on taking care of him and whatnot. And he's buying his, you know, third set of wheels from us. And we have loads of that. And like, that really matters too. You know, I have customers that I know by name, you know, like directly. So that's, that adds meaning to all of our existences and it's kind of, it's worth running the business, you know, in a way that has some soul to uh, keep our own. Yeah. Well, I mean, that actually leads me to another question, which is, um, you guys being kind of a, obviously a smaller manufacturer and now the way that, especially focusing kind of on the road or triathlon side of things, the wheels have so many different, um, iterations of like the same thing now. So you have, um, you might, let's say you have like a 60 mil race wheel, like the, like the Aries six, like, like what we're racing on you, you like conceivably it's possible for a manufacturer to do a tubular a uh, tubular version, uh, a clincher version, a tubeless version, which usually both would be the same. And then you could have, if you have like the rear wheel, you could have um, disc brake versus rim brake. And you could have, um, you could have like, you might need different hubs for different speeds now. So like, how has that impacted your guys' business having to like offer all these different options? It's seemingly over the last few years. Yeah. Um, it has made it more complicated, <laughs> you know, to simply put. Um, luckily, a lot of the folks we work with in our wheel designs are fairly adaptable, at least when it comes to free hub um, and different free hub types, meaning different drive tame types. So if you're doing XDR for a um, SRAM drivetrain or or Campy or Shimano, like most of those, we can actually just change the free hub on the same thing. So we don't, I mean, on the same hub itself. So that, you know, adds a complication. It certainly adds a mix, you know, another detail we have to ask to get things right. Same with spacing, right? It's like mountain bikes are boost space, move oh, to boost, boost spacing. Boost. Oh, yeah. 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 It's always during the transitions that are the worst, right? Cause there's like a period where you kind of have to have everything and then trickle out. So like, luckily that's where it's at with tubulars, like not very many people are riding tubulars anymore. Um, and so like, we don't, we don't have a current tubular model. We just were able to get rid of it all together. You know, the more, the more important thing there now is like rim versus disc. Like if we could get to the situation where we only did disc wheel, like disc brake wheels, oh my gosh, that would make our lives so much easier. But no, that's, that's not the industry we're in. Cycling has always been about evolution and change. And so we just do our best to respond as quickly as possible and also to look at things as they're emerging with, you know, a, a balance of um, innovation and 
skepticism you know like when things are popping up go wait okay is this really going to be a thing you know like we're not going to jump right on this and try to be the you know second people with a with a new thing until it appears that it actually makes sense you know well what about you know in 10 years when tubulars finally come back just like the yeah totally then we'll have to (laughs) yeah then we'll have to we'll have to bring them back but don't worry (laughs) they'll be different, you know, they won't be the same. They'll be new tubulars and they'll be like two millimeters wider or something. And anything yeah. will be completely unusable, you know, cause that's the other thing with cyclists is like, once something has changed, it's like the old thing is like, oh God, you know, like we've, it's always funny to see like now it's like rims need to be wider than they used to be. Right. And it's like, yeah. man, it's like as though people's, people's 19 millimeter rims are like, now growing mold or something like you couldn't possibly use those you know <laughs> i used to i had like an old reynolds rim that was i don't even know how thin it was but it was like probably a 10 year old model and i just like couldn't believe the thinness of what we used to think was the most badass thing ever it was deep and all but now like i would probably have to reconfigure my entire brake system to be able to squeeze in that much i don't even think brakes even squeeze that far anymore <laughs> <laughs> Like this, they're going to bottom out on the, on the, totally, totally. The changes, the changes can be, can be absurd, you know, and we, we joke about it internally, but like I said, it's just, it's the industry we live in, or the world we live in, the industry we work in. And, um, you know, we just adapt and, and there's also, there's some things about that. Like, I mean, we all like bikes, right? We're bike nerds. So there's a part of it where we're like, oh man, are you serious? Like that we're doing another, a new spacing, you know, whatever. Yeah new road boost or something crazy now and then the part speeds. of us that are like i'm sorry say that again yeah we're gonna have 14 speed rear cogs now <laughs> totally totally and so we're like oh, are you serious but then we also are all kind of bike nerds that are like yeah that might be kind of cool um, <laughs> yeah zero chain ring on the front it'd be cool if i don't have to be the one who makes it work yeah <laughs> right yeah yeah and i don't you know like the engineers have to deal with that so well, speaking of engineering, Lauren, um, when it comes to like molding a, a wheel and because I know some of the stuff you have to get from, you know, across the pond in terms of materials and carbon and, you know, the, I don't know how molding works or how, you know, certain companies work with different carbon molders or however, like, can you explain in kind of a, like a nutshell how that kind of works? Because I've always been a little bit more curious as to when a wheel is designed the steps that it takes to absolutely be hitting the the floor and be for sale because you know another side part to that is like when i see some of these more radically designed wheels i'm just wondering what the hell does it actually do first off is it beneficial is it just to look different and that process has to be expensive so from from start to finish on designing a new wheel and getting the molds like how does that look yeah um it's a good question and it is certainly a big and expensive process especially if you do it right you know that's a thing that when we talk about when people are looking at say a uh, an expensive versus an inexpensive carbon wheel set like i will bet money that where the money was a lot of money was saved in a super cheap cheap wheel set um i mean there's actual things like hub or whatnot but if we're looking at the rim say we're having two things that have the same same quality hub and one of them is way cheaper um there's questions to be asked you know and and i get pretty suspicious about the place people save money is testing like i know what it costs to adequately test wheels um and to do things really fast and just bring them in um is 
you know, in, in my mind, quite sketchy um, and something that's done. So we, it's another reason that we are, you know, so the owner's an engineer, with multiple engineers on staff. We're a very strategic and uh, thorough company. So we won't ever, like you'll never see us having the first or even the second of some new thing to market because we're gonna, we can't afford, frankly, to have product on the market that isn't worth its salt. Like you see, you know, like to have a huge warranty, a huge recall, anything like that. Like we simply couldn't live through it. So everything has to be right. Um, we couldn't live through a huge lawsuit. Um, I mean, as a company, I mean, so we, ha we have to do things right. Um, so when it comes to designing a new carbon wheel, I mean, that basically is gonna look like, so our carbon wheels do come from over the pond. Um, we, you know, I can tell you a long story about trying to do that in, in the U.S., but, um, you know. Oh, I've, they, I've heard it's virtually, like, you'll run yourself out of business trying to do anything carbon in the U.S., so I think most people know that that business is just dominated by the Asian market. Yeah, it's, I mean, the long story short, we had, we worked with a partner trying to produce, um, to do that, basically just to keep in the U.S., and what we ended up with was a more expensive product, which we, you can pretty much guarantee it. U.S. made is going to be more expensive. We're kind of okay with that, but then it was also less good, mm -hmm. and that didn't tolerate because now it's a more expensive, worse product. And so, the partners that we've worked with overseas, we've worked with for like 15 years. So, and it's and another key distinction here is like there's there's people that produce wheels overseas, like ourselves and and many other um, high level companies, but you're working with a production partner, which means they're building things to your spec. You have, you have design control, testing control, et cetera, um, as opposed to like an open mold, um, which is just a company that's just kind of cranking out rims and people are buying them and putting their sticker on it. You yeah. know? So, and if they do their own testing or they're just taking it for granted that the company over there did, then they're good. I don't know. You know, um, I can just speak to our process, which is basically like, you know, it's going to begin with drawings. We're going to um, and 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 modeling, you know, um, in, the, in the engineering perspective. We're going to take them. Then those are going to go to our production partners. They make us samples. We get samples in house, which we put through a battery of testing first in house machine testing. Don't you have called the Thrasher? Say that again. Don't you have a machine called the Thrasher or something? That you do indeed have a machine called the Thrasher. I knew it. Yes. Yes. Good. Good. Uh, trivia there. Well, the trivia. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's it's kind of absurd. And like, I mean, one of them is like basically this. And and so we test, and you test everything until it breaks, right? So like engineers like to test stuff because it's all gonna break. It's just a matter of when. And sometimes it's comical usage to make it break you know it's like we have a machine that's like it's spinning on a drum testing so it's spinning on a at a like you're going down a hill um a, on a road bike say if we're testing a road rim here and it's a it would be like you know riding the perry roubaix at 50 miles per hour <laughs> on that thing until it breaks you know, and some of those, they'll last for like a week. The engineers get annoyed because they have to just keep going in and testing this thing. And it's like, still not broken, you know? <laughs> and, you know, there's impact testing and the impact testing for rims alone, impact testing at different tire pressures. Um, I mean, there's a gamut of, 
of stuff that that they go through and then we ride test so i mean most i mentioned joking earlier that i had a lot of a lot of wheels on hand and you know a, a few of those pairs are definitely test wheels and we keep testing them so like we do a new wheel like i have a test set of wheels and we ride it and everything's good and it's tested out and everything's good and we you know bring that to market still testing that right it's still we're still keeping track of how is that doing so that we're watching like okay real world three years in how is that product you know and and then we alter as we go we start you know it's like you know this product's really good but for the application it's seen it's you know the 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 layup on this rim is a little bit light we're seeing rim damage so maybe we're going to uh, adapt accordingly you know increase something here or or decrease or, or, or go the other way around, you know, now you figure out a way, hey, you know what, we can save some weight on this. So we're going to do that. And then, but then every time there's any sort of anything that is the least bit major, that whole process has to go again, you know? So it's like, make a change, try to save a few grams in a rim or whatever. It's like, okay, here we go. Production, send, you know, samples, testing, the whole bit. Yeah. Yeah, so that's a, that's the right way to do it. I mean, I think we've all seen, and probably everybody's first set of 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 uh, rims that they got like used off some guy who who didn't like them after six months, and they were like four hundred bucks on GG or something, yeah. and the the hub is like already destroyed after like a month, <laughs> and uh, they look the same though. That's the thing is, how can somebody like, let's say somebody's not buying a brand new set of rims or whatever, how can they know like hey this is probably a pretty good quality rim or not um because to the naked eye or to the untrained eye like the rim depth looks the same the width looks the same the spokes look the same the hub like how do you tell so like what would you suggest to look for if someone's trying to like decide if something's going to be decent quality or not yeah totally and if i can if it's all right with you i'll answer that assuming that they're new because like you reference like if they were used or whatever and that's just that gets into a lot of buyer beware discretion because, like, I don't know what the hell happened to those used wheels, you know, um, and no one does. Um, so, but just you know, taking that if I if I zoom out a little bit and be like, okay, how does someone know the difference between, you know, a good versus mediocre or bad wheel set? Um, so, I mean, first thing that's going to be really important to me is simply reputation and um, and history. And so, to me, that does not mean what you've seen the most of in ads lately or what's popping up on your, you know, what's following you and in, in your social media ads or whatever the most, who's paying the most for marketing. To me, that means who's been in this game for a while, who's been making high quality products for some time and has a reputation that you can put some faith in. And, you know, that, that those developing that is really important. And it just like, isn't, it's not something you can fake, right? So like if we were in a business of making wheels that didn't really work very well, you just you just can't survive in capitalism for 30 years, you know? People, there's bike brands that people just like and whatnot or feel like they've had bad experiences with, but they, you know, by and large, if someone's been at it, making product for a long time, it's something that you might be able to look at, you know? In terms of models, like, okay, I'm looking at this one and that one and you know, taking brand out of it. I mean, the differences people are going to see um, is they're, how they're made, right? If it's a machine versus um, hand-built wheel and the components. So you, there's a lot of cheap carbon right now 
that is a carbon fiber rim, which might be an okay carbon fiber rim, but it's laced up to a really low quality hub. And it's because people just kind of have carbon fever. And this is dying off a little bit now, but it was like, it was definitely huge, say two years ago. People were just like, I have to have carbon wheels. And that's kind of as far as they were looking, right? It's like, I just want my wheels to be made of carbon. Um, carbon and light, right? That's the two things people care about. Yeah, totally. Right. And well, that's the funny thing is that in theory, you can actually get a pair. Of, I mean, we have alloy wheels that weigh less than lots of carbon wheels um, because, I mean, cheap carbon isn't necessarily light. Um, yeah. but saying like, I just, I don't know, I just want a pair of carbon wheels. And if that's as far as you thought, it's sort of like being like, I want a house. What kind of house? I want one made out of wood. <laughs> it's like, well, you got to give it a little more than that is all. Because, <laughs> um, yeah, it's just really basic. So, and, and hub quality is a thing that we, is, it's really important to us. Hubs have like everything to do with the longevity of your wheel, your ride quality, the reliability um, and engagement. I mean, just your whole experience on the bike. And, um, you know, that's a place that's overlooked a lot. So it's, it's really tempting people to be like, oh, I want to get the carbon wheel. And I mean, I, I literally yesterday talked to customer out of carbon wheels to a high quality alloy wheel because their budget didn't allow for the carbon wheel they wanted, you know, but it did allow for a really good alloy wheel. So sweet, you know. Now that's a bigger challenge for someone that's looking for aerodynamics, right? Because then, you know, carbon, yeah, carbon can be lighter. Carbon is stiffer as well, which is awesome, um, usually. And um, it, uh, yeah, I lost. I lost my train of thought. So zero. I lost it. You're you're saying how it was more aerodynamic, uh, and a lot. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. So with aerodynamics, I mean that is where weight. I mean, if you make a deep dish, you make a sixty millimeter wheel out of alloy, which they used to do. Um, <laughs> crazy heavy, right? Boat yeah. anchors. And so carbon is the ticket there, um, and and you know aerodynamics will buy you speed. So I mean that. Of matters and that's where also you have to start thinking through your application you know the the hub and, and you know how you're going to use a set of wheels um what and what you most value but the i mean you, you really do need to look at all the components okay what's that rim what's it what's it made out of how's it how's the test who built it and what they built it to is it laced to a hub that matters um and it's going to see you through Cool. Yeah. I feel like that's something people tend to overlook is that hub and like that makes all the difference. And now like the big rage is ceramic bearings. Do you see that sticking around? And do you think that that really makes a difference as you know, someone in the wheel industry? Yeah. Um, I mean, cer do ceramics make a difference? Yes. Um, you know, they're lighter. Um, they roll smoother right? Um, they're expensive. So like, if do they make a difference? Like the simple answer is yes. Is the actual performance that you get from them worth it? Um, it depends on your budget. You know, I think there's probably lots of folks who are thinking they need that that's the thing that they need to, to spend money on. And, and, and I'm not shy in saying sometimes it isn't like when people talk about weight, they're going to save weight by getting a ceramic bearing. It's like you're gonna the, the weight savings you're gonna save is literally a few, like a few. And gram? per gram in that is astronomical, right? Mm -hmm. So it's like you're trying to do that to save weight. I would say don't do that thing. Um, that is not a thing I would do. And I would tell a customer that, 
um, even though we'd make more money because yeah, we're, we're better at being humans than we are at business. Um, I mean, selling ceramic bearings is, is, is great for us. Um, and lots of people are updating. And the real reason, the better reason to do it would be for um, their, how well they spin. So a good quality ceramic bearing, um, we use Enduro Zero and XD15s, which are phenomenal. Um, they, roll, they roll faster, that's gonna save you weight. That's all there is to it. Um, ceramic ba uh, balls are generally rounder. Um, they're harder, smoother. Uh, so all those things just mean less, less, less internal friction. Um, and they also will last longer than steel. Now, if you're gonna pay four times as much for ceramic versus steel, will they last four times as long? It depends, you know? I have seen riders that are just sort of mashers or live in climates where we're just like, they somehow seem to just crush bearings that'll move to ceramic and it will, it will really change that, you know? So, I mean, if money is no option, get ceramic bearings. I've ridden them back to back on the bike and been able to notice like, wow, that feels like, like I remember riding a pair of Aries sixes with ceramic bearings for the first time and kind of had this sensation like I stepped on ice or something when like first, <laughs> so yeah. it's just like, shoo, the bike just sort of like sails out from underneath you. You're like, oh, holy, wow. Um, so, I mean, that can be awesome. And if you can have whatever bits you want, do it. If you're choosing between ceramic bearings and like something that's gonna have a greater, you know, if you're a triathlete and you're choosing between that and something's gonna have a greater impact in your aerodynamics or, um, you know, other places to save weight or things like that, then, you know, you might be better served making a little bit more of a conservative decision. Yeah. Well, I'm going to put ceramic on everything one day, especially inside my body, if I can. Make it faster. <laughs> nice. Yeah, man. Keep it, keep it sliding smooth. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, the other thing that I kind of just thought of is you mentioned kind of durability in that, and um, it would kind of depend, like, it's almost like with the race wheel set that you use, like a lot of, for example, for me, like I use, I only use a 60 mil wheel for a race. I'm not, I'm not going to train on that. So if You're not I'm Cody Beals or anything, right. <laughs> I'm training on race. Wheel. <laughs> so if I'm using it, you know, 20 rides a year, max, like the ceramic, the, the longevity is not going to be an issue for a Rolf wheel. It'll last for 20 rides a year for a hundred years, probably. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Your parents, your parents aren't, I mean, unless, unless all 20 of those rider rides are like, in a. Bay. Bay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Especially not as a triathlete, right? Like um, cross. Yeah. And you're right. That's a, that's an interesting thing. Uh, most people put them in their best things and, you know, we shouldn't understate the um, value of knowing going into a race that you have the very best, fastest thing you possibly could. Mm -hmm. And, Oh, yeah, we all have ceramic. All of us on the team have a ceramic totally. in there. Yeah, I'm and I'm glad you do. Yeah, yeah. I'm glad you do because you go into that knowing that you're you have the fastest hubs there are. No one in you know, there's like there's no doubts. And I think for people that are really focused on racing, like I do think that is a very important thing and and it goes beyond the you know the practicality of it and just being like, no, my you know. I'm dialed. I have the best thing I possibly can. You know, it's the same thing as knowing that your training and your nutrition have been on track and are, and are dialed. It's all part of that, right? Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, it can it can have an impact to be sure. 
So Lauren, um, do you have anything else you want us to kind of talk about with within Rolf or within your personal experiences, stories, or um, is that pretty much good? I mean, we're going to probably have you on again once, uh, you know, later on. I think I've, I definitely have a lot more wheel questions. It's, it's kind of like a, a, a geek, but I want to save it for a part two. So before we get to that depth, is there anything you have want to part with our listeners? Um, no, I mean, I think, I think we're covering it and I'm, I think that's a, probably a healthy dose of tech for anyone to, to absorb. Um, so I just appreciate people uh, giving us, giving us the time to, and for you having us on here, you know, I, I guess a plea that I do, um, is just something I believe in that I, that I like to remind people of is that like what you're, what you spend your money on is what you're voting for. And, you know, I, I do believe in, in supporting companies that do right by their employees, um, take pride in what they do, keep things stateside if they can, um, have true relationships with their athletes. You know, they aren't just, aren't just paying things off. And I mean, people that are basically doing business with some integrity and soul um, are, are worth giving our money to. And, you know, so if that means someone gives their money to me or not, um, or to us or not, that's, you know, either, either way. But I just think that's an important thing in this day and age for people to keep in mind. Um, and, and it always just kind of comes up for me now working for a, you know, a, a smaller company that, that is trying to do things the right way. Um, and, and it's impacted, you know, how I look around at the world. Um, and then, and I noticed then that I feel differently and like the way I, I react to my, my um, reaction feeling about the things I own is better. And that kind of just adds a, um, reduces friction um, in my life or dissonance of, know kind of buying things that are um you know. yeah exactly exactly so you guys took a big leap i always like people to think about well, you took a big leap of faith working with us as a team i mean there's, there's six of us you guys have really gone on the limb to use us as ambassadors for what you all stand for and we're proud of that so we can't thank you enough as a company and, and you know all the engineers who do everything they do so we can have great products to represent you all so again thank you so much for oh yeah and, and for yeah thank you for that and uh and you know back at you you're doing a cool thing i mean the, the world of professional sports has changed a ton in the last few years as you know i don't need to tell you and see you taking a you know kind of taking it by the helm and and blending or creating a new blend of how to how to do this and how to still support athletes um you know, really doing it the hard way um, and the right way is the reason that, uh, yeah, we want to partner with you. We see, we absolutely um, those shared values and, and that stuff matters. Well, thanks, Lauren. Yeah, um, thanks so much, man. This has been cool. And uh, we look forward to, you know, working with you for the year. And everyone will probably say this in the outro, but you can find the Rolf wheels on our team store, all the wheels we use. Um, so the link will be in the show notes for that. Um, and yeah, Ralph was one of the first companies to uh, to be like, yeah, we want to go on your team store and support you guys in that. And that's just one of the different things we're doing. And it's awesome that you guys have jumped on board. So we really appreciate that too. Heck yeah. Thanks so much for having me on here and hope you guys have an awesome weekend. Race fast out there. Thanks, Lauren. Well, thanks, man. Well, guys, that was a good talk with Lauren there. Uh, I, you know, that's something learning a lot about this company. I know kind of coming into this, 
I had done my research, I had been riding the wheels and I noticed a big difference kind of coming over from, from past wheels. And I, I was on a really good set of wheels before, super happy. One thing that really stuck with me is just the care they put into the wheels and you really notice it in the product. And the fact that the values as their company, you know, they really like to kind of stay within the US. And that's something that we, we don't see a lot when it comes to manufacturing for cycling and stuff like that. So it's really nice to see. Um, well, the level, the level of testing too, like I, I did some research actually, that's why I mentioned the thrasher and it's just like this big old beastly drum that just destroys hubs and carbon over the years. And like, I was impressed to see that they're just so transparent about how much they're willing to put their product through before it comes to underneath our bikes, as we're hurling ourselves down canyons at 55 miles an hour. So there's like a lot to be said about a company when you're riding their wheels and you've got six inches between you and death that you put a lot of faith into those wheel companies. I mean, you take it for granted until it freaking blows up on you and that's never going to happen with this. So it's great. Yeah. I mean, you, you got to put a lot of trust in that. I was thinking about it during the interview, like the wheel, the, the actual frame and the bike don't really move. It's just kind of the wheels are what's moving and what has to work properly for you to not wait crash the wheels move. <laughs> the bike's stationary the wheels rotate and that's what moves like, the bike that was like tron bike well <laughs> it can be if you're on swift but yeah i mean especially once you've had a pretty ripper of a crash at some point you want to kind of and it wasn't caused by my equipment but at the same time you think you know it could be so easy for a small equipment fail to just cost you <laughs> terribly wasn't the guy who you were chasing downhill Riding Rolf Prima. He was riding Rolf <laughs> Field. Yeah. It was Eric Lagerstrom, and he made that corner, and I didn't. So, <laughs> Oh, that was not planned. Anywho, um, we were trying to think of a good comparison for Rolf, and it's kind of like the, the Aston Martin of, uh, of of wheels because they're they're high-end, they're more expensive, they're just really nice, and you know you've got something that's going to work. Um, so that's kind of why we really wanted to work with them. And you can get them on our team store. We're going to have the link there, and we have a whole bunch of, of styles on there, and our – if there's something on there that you want to, to buy and we don't have it on there, we can get it on there for you. So support them, support us. Everything's great. Jackson, Give us all your money. This would be a way better episode if you stopped slamming shit on the table. What was that, Nick? Can't hear you. <laughs> Just keep dropping shit. Yeah. But anyways, without further ado, we've got to go get ready for this race. Garrick has to go hibernate until three hours before the race. This is his practice. Good one, Nick. <laughs> All right, boys. Peace. Ow. I got ish to do. Flying through the sky in my parachute. Dancing on the couch like I'm Tommy Cruise. On a one-man mission trying to see it through.